Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. As direct as a Steph Mondonder assist, as joyous as Felix Bollard after a win, as intuitive as a Pep Genesio substitution, as controversial as a Presnel Kimpembe penalty, and as uncompromising as an Axel de Sassi tackle, this is Le Beau Jeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast, with a look back at all the action from week seven of the season. I'm your host, Robbie Thompson. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Luc Entwistle on the Côte d'Azur. Luc, comment ça va? Ça va très bien, merci. Thanks for having me on as usual. Excellent. Andy Scott in Paris. Andy, ça gaz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we carrying this on or should we, should we, should we, should we revert to English? Yeah. Oh. No, no, you can, you can stop all, it there. All, all good, thank you. All good, thank you, Robbie. <laughs> I, I, I had to, ça gaz is something that was said about uh, 20 years ago, maybe more, 30 years ago, in, in Paris, instead of, how are you going? It's like, are you cooking with gas? <laughs> well, not anymore. Like and funnily not enough, anymore. when I was back in Australia, not anymore, <laughs> not, not when you look at the price of it. Yeah, no, when I, I jumped on a bus with a PSG shirt about 15 years ago, and the driver said, hey, sagaz. And I couldn't, couldn't quite believe it, in Sydney. In Sydney, that is, I should say. So that was quite funny. So let's keep moving. Uh, I guess if you're listening to the podcast today, you're already subscribing and waiting for it to drop. But please spread the good word. The more the merrier around the table of French football. Give us a rating and get in touch. League One Podcast at gmail.com or on Le Beaujeu League One Podcast on Twitter. Gentlemen. I'd like to start with a little history lesson because, yes, the last few days have been a time to reflect on the past and look forward to the future with renewed hope. Here in Australia, Sydney United became the first regional semi-professional side to qualify for the final of the Cup, but more importantly, perhaps, for Ligue 1 football, that is. In, on Sunday, France's professional game celebrated its 90th anniversary. It all kicked off way back in September 1932, when there were three Paris-based teams in the competition. There were the likes of Antibes, Alès, Excelsior of Roubaix. But just as you think how much has changed over 90 years, think back to Sunday the 11th of September 1932 when Marseille defeated Lille by two goals to one, which is exactly what happened, of course, this weekend. A reminder that no matter how excited people get and how far we say, we've never seen this before, you'll never see this again, well, rest assured, it's already happened. You just don't know it. On a side note, England began in 1888, Italy, 1898, Spain, 1929, France then, 1932, and funnily enough, the Bundesliga began in 1963. Before that, all regional competition and amateur competition in Germany before they got going. So we'll get to that match between Lille and Marseille in a moment, but before then, Paris Saint-Germain, the defending champions, Ligue 1 leaders, entertained Stade Brestois 29 and Le Bourgeois' very own Matt Spiro 
called the action. Yeah, this is Neymar, Mbappe outside him. Neymar looks for Messi instead. Messi must score. No. Good save by Marco Pizza. Brest very nearly shooting themselves in the foot in the uh, last minute of this first half. Neymar, now Mbappe. Is this the moment for Mbappe? Again, Marco Bizot saves. Oh, Brett. Wonderful uh, finishing from Neymar. Fadiger comes inside. Good run from Fadiger. He's in the box. And he's gone down. It's a penalty. Well, a super run from Noah Fadiger. Kimpembe's got his arms all over him. And the referee saw enough. The Algerian attacker, Islam Slimani, steps up and Donnarumma makes a brilliant stop. Well, he went a very, very long way, the Italian. He read Slimani's intentions. And that is superb. Now, that was Neymar's eighth of the season, Lionel Messi's sixth assist. Gianluigi Donnarumma produced one of the best penalty saves since Andrew Redmayne for the Socceroos against Peru. Lionel Messi hit the woodwork for a 13th time in a PSG shirt, but Andy Scott, you were not impressed. <laughs> and I don't even think it was a penalty against Presnel Kimpembe. But, uh, Andy, you... you you thought that PSG just were running a little bit light. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I, I was talking to Matt about this uh, yesterday, actually. I mean, we were both at the game. I know he was commentating, and and uh, he, he, he certainly enjoyed the match. From, from my point of view, I, th I mean, maybe it's easy to say after the fact, but I just felt that, you know, when I was on my way to the stadium, I fully expected uh, Christoph Galtier to have made a number of changes to the team to freshen things up. Um, the context, of course, is that, they beat Juventus 2-1 on um, on Tuesday last week and they've got a long trip to Israel to play Maccabi Haifa in the Champions League on Wednesday. So you thought, well, this is an opportunity for them to change things up. You've got the likes of Carlos Soler and Fabian Ruiz, Hugo Ekitike, others all sitting on the bench waiting for the chance to start a game. And um, and Galtier didn't didn't make the, the wholesale changes. He, he made just two changes, um, kept the, the, the superstar front three out there. Now, his reasoning was, he said after the game, explained it in great detail, that he wanted to, to, to finish the game off as, as quickly as possible, put the game to bed by half time, and that's why he wanted to have Neymar and Bappe and, and, and Messi on the field, but it didn't work. I thought they looked a little bit sluggish. Um, I thought they were kind of, you know, at walking pace a lot of the time. And I just thought that it might have been an opportunity to play some of the some of the other members of the squad, and 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 I think it comes back to you know why stockpile so many good players if you're not going to use them. I appreciate this is at the very beginning of of, of a long run of of um, of matches with the Champions League starting and and league games every week up until the World Cup. So so there will be chances for for the likes of Soler and, and Fabian Ruiz to play, but. You know, I, I just thought that it, it was a good chance to play them in a game that you'd expect PSG to be winning anyway against a team that lost 7-0 at home to Montpellier a couple of weeks ago. And I thought that PSG looked just a little bit off it. I mean, they were lucky, you know, they, obviously they're, they're lucky to get the win because of Donnarumma's penalty save. And I know you think that it maybe maybe wasn't a penalty from, from my vantage point. I thought it clearly was a penalty. President Kimpembe was lucky not to be sent off late on as well, which is another thing. He was very lucky not to get a second yellow card, but 
you know, they were dependent on Gianluigi Donnarumma to make that that penalty save from Islam Slimani. Um, Donnarumma kind of making up for his error against Juventus in midweek because he was caught out at the goal that, that Juve scored in that game. So that's great for him. But I just thought that it was it was a little bit flat from PSG and and um, you know I think I think that it was an opportunity miss. They did have they did. I'll just jump in. They did have a huge match against Juventus. I mean that was the match of of the first round. It was certainly the match or those two are the matchup for for who will decide that Champions League group. I think that was a, an important victory. It was a superb two goals from from Kylian yeah. Mbappe early on as well. Um, I think that you you can understand that there could be a little back off from that, and I understand your argument about then why not make changes. But but Soler and Ruiz arrive very late in yeah. the window as well. Uh, this is a new formation for Paris Saint Germain at the back. They have lots of matches, as you say, coming up. Perhaps that perhaps Galtier, who also doesn't want his side to suddenly turn and be under pressure for a couple of bad mm-hmm. results early on in the campaign, wants to wants to ensure this new three four three beds in properly before before you make a few changes. Perhaps that's something. Luke, we, we see that Presnel Kimpembe could be out for a little while now, despite not escaping the red card. But all of a sudden, we look at those players that PSG have brought in, and it's going to be Danilo, most likely, who's set for a, a, a good spell in the centre of defence. Yeah, I mean, Danilo Pereira is one of the, the strange ones because everyone thought he was on his way out. Um, in the end, that didn't happen. It didn't seem like any kind of interest was was concrete in him. But he has looked quite solid at the start of the season. Whether it was, it was kind of further back in, in that midfield, or if he's you know right in the middle of that centre back partnership, I think he he is looking actually quite at ease. And with that three, there's definitely the chance to to get a lot of game time, especially in the league. You know, we're talking about the rotation with the Champions League. There's plenty of games, plenty of minutes to be had. So I think he'll have quite a starring role at, in that back three potentially. Because there's certainly one one defender like you know they wanted Milan Skriniar and that never happened at Saldisati, who's we'll get into about Saldisati later because Monaco once again very very strong in defence. Uh, so there's clearly a desire to bring someone in, and uh, the person who profits from from someone not coming in is Danilo Pereira, who once again I mean it's against Brest, who didn't necessarily offer too much, but it's not the first time this this season that he's played and that he's impressed. So positive signs for him. Andy, I'd like to have a quick word about the match against Juventus. You were most certainly yeah. there. I would have been. I would have loved to have been because it was it was one of those big European nights. The crowd was was electric. There was a great feeling in the air. On the pitch, we know that there were two PlayStation goals, two FIFA goals scored by PSG. But what did you make of, of the overall performance? I thought they were really good in the first half. Um, obviously, yeah, the, the goals were just sensational. Um, absolutely wonderful goals from from Kylian Mbappe. Uh, the game might have hinged on the start of the second half. I mean, there's been all this talk, hasn't there, in the first few weeks of the season about the relationship between Neymar and Mbappe, and Mbappe got it wrong. He should have squared for Neymar at the back post early in the second half. He went for a goal himself and hit the side netting, which you can understand. He's a striker. He, he's on a hat trick, um, but that was a big chance missed, and then Juve go up the other end and get the goal back. I, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't nervous after that, really. I think PSG were the, the better team, um, but they could have made it easier for themselves. I thought, in general, it was an encouraging performance, and I, I've seen the point made um, probably quite intelligently that it's no bad thing they didn't win by by a landslide because that might have raised expectations a bit too much. I mean, if you remember back, um, I can't remember when it was now, but they beat Real Madrid 
three nil in the first group game. Maybe maybe the maybe the last season before the pandemic. Yeah, twenty nineteen was it? I I, I can't yeah. I can't remember now. Time all blends into one thing. But they they beat Real Madrid three 0 in the first group game of that season, and it really raised expectations, got excitement going. Um, and and of course it didn't quite work out the way they hoped. So this one will maybe just keep expectations a little bit lower. But it's still a good result against against a big European name, and it sets them up nicely for the group. Um, so so that's encouraging. And and the game in Israel to come, which is obviously a long awkward trip, but one in which um they should be capable of negotiating against um on paper arguably the weakest side in in not just not just their group but in any group in 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 the champions league this season so that's to come just just by the way just just on the the defensive situation i've got this theory which is that um come january they will come for milan screenar again it's not a theory i think there's common sense to it i mean screenar is out of contract at the end of the season psg clearly wanted him um and Inter have had a bad start in the Champions League group. It does make you wonder that they will not make it through to the last 16 in the Champions League and they'll be willing to take a, a cut price fee for Skriniar in January. And PSG will, will, will need him. They need an option in there because with Kimpembe absent, they are very light. So um, that, that is a concern for Galti. He's got lots of midfielders. Um, the obvious options up front, but but the, the defence is is a concern. And, and President Kimpembe is injured, but did not look too... Um, too clever on on Saturday anyway. As I said, he was lucky not to get the the red card. So, you know, work, work to be done. But as as you say, Robbie, I think you're quite right. Um, it, really, the three points in in these games right now is 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 the main thing, and they've kept the they've kept the good start to the season going. So that that shouldn't detract too much from any from any debates about whether fringe players should have started or not. Really, yeah, Luke, I can see you calling for the ball at the back post. Just go to go forward. exactly against what Andy said and just really hype PSG up. Um, less so about PSG and more so just about the state of the competition this year. I mean, Juventus, like many big sides in the Champions League, are kind of in transition this year. And you kind of, you did see that, you know, there's never too much doubt about that result uh, on Tuesday. So, and whilst that's the case for many clubs, you know, Juventus, I'm thinking in the UK, you've got got Chelsea, you've got plenty of sides who maybe aren't quite at their optimal uh, kind of configuration, as it were. So I think there's maybe a little bit of room for optimism there for PSG, especially now that they've got that front three settled and it's it's kind of performing in a way that everyone expected it to perform, maybe a little bit unrealistically straight off the bat. But now it has settled. They've probably got the most settled, impressive front line in Europe. And um, that could count for something further down the line. Stick to the ears of Paris Saint-Germain fans. Marseille were next in action on Saturday evening, and our good friend and pod contributor, Andreas Evagora, was behind the microphone for this one. Unas keeps it going. This is dangerous, just went the wrong side of Unas, but Unas turns, hits the post, and it's gone in! It was brilliantly done from Unas, and Ismaili has popped up, not for the first time this season, in the right place. The velodrome is stunned, and Lille's good away form continues. It's the Brazilian Ismaili with a shot goal. Just crept up from nowhere. And it's Lille who have the lead. Harry driving forward. Under wants it. Under puts it across. And it's another goal for Alexis Sanchez. He cannot stop scoring. It's his fourth of the new term. Coming against the run of play. But those Marseille fans won't care about that. Under with all the perspiration 
Sanchez with the inspiration. It's Marseille one, Lille one. Turk drives it in. And it comes on, and it's in, and Marseille have the lead. Gigo at the far post, having a look round at the linesman to check it was offside. And the answer is that it has been given. It's the first goal of the season for Samuel Gigo. And the comeback is complete. 2-1 for Marseille. Luke, Marseille had to bounce back from a difficult evening in London against Tottenham in the Champions League. But domestically, they're keeping pace with PSG. They had to do it the hard way. They conceded early. They had to come from behind to beat Lille. But just as they did in 1932, this time, courtesy of Alexis Sanchez and Samuel Gigo, who uh, did the damage. Now, side note for the non-French of you. The three of us all know what a gigo is, and generally, it's delicious. It's a leg of lamb or mutton, but generally a, a leg of lamb, and it's a, a staple of, uh, of the French lunchtime trade at, at brasseries uh, around the country, I think. So Sanchez and gigo, he's had an interesting career, actually, Samuel Gigo. He's been, a, he's been around the traps, played in Belgium, played in Russia, has uh, returned. His, his brother plays rugby league professionally uh, as well. So they're a, they're a big family. He's built like a rugby league front rower. Samuel Gigo getting the second goal. Luke, what did you make of this one? Um, I think Marseille are just looking very, very impressive domestically. Whether or not they can get so far in the Champions League is another matter. But, you know, it has to be said they have played their most difficult game. If we're kind of going to do a little recap of, of the Champions League, Tottenham away is their most difficult fixture. And they certainly weren't blown away and only lost after a red card, which which was a clear red to Chancellor Mbemba. Um, but that was a very positive performance and it only gets easier from here for them. And then domestically, uh, they've been really impressive. I've been very pleasantly surprised by Alexis Sanchez, four goals in six. Um, I thought his arrival would come to the detriment of Chenzik Under, who has actually thrived since arriving. And Amina Harit looks, looks good as well yesterday. So it's it's very different to what we saw from, from Marseille last season with that kind of front three because those kind of profiles, especially when you take out Milic, it's a front three that functions in a completely different way to how it functioned last season. Uh, but it's exciting, it's fun to watch, and more, more importantly, it, it works in the minute and it's free for rewards. So, yeah, I, I'd be quite excited if I was a Marseille fan. I'm, I'm not thinking they're going to necessarily win the title, but I was quite pessimistic of their Champions League chances. And... Not so much anymore. I think they've got goals through that team that, that will see them through. And uh, especially, I mean, obviously he didn't play yesterday, but Nuno Tavares and Jonathan Close there on, on the wing-back positions that are really a, a source of a lot of attacking threat and will continue to be because I just don't think they've really been worked out. Poor old Eric Milik just can't take a trick, can he, in Juventus? The winning goal for his match against Salernitana ruled out for what looks to be a completely non-existent offside and a, and a VAR error probably wishing he was back on uh, on the Mediterranean coast with, with Olympique de Marseille, at least the nice and warm sitting on the bench there at the Stade Velodrome. Andy, it's been one of my bugbears over numerous seasons. I've always defended the role of Paris Saint-Germain in the league by saying that, and, and something that the club said when they first arrived, or the Qataris said, was that the aim that they were going to lift the bar in France for everyone to follow. And when you see Paris Saint-Germain winning the league by by 15 points, by 20 points, when it's all over in February, it's generally a case that the other big clubs haven't gone with them. In theory, there are other 19 teams in the competition to match Paris Saint-Germain results, and then 
you'd go head to head against PSG. Marseille for the moment are doing it. Lens are, are there as well. Can they can they keep it up over the long term? Well, it's it's easy to say that when um, when you've got the resources that PSG have compared to everybody else. Um, obviously, you know they they are in a much better position to be racking up the wins week in week out. I take your point, though. I mean, clubs like Marseille and Lyon, who will come to... Marseille still have the second biggest y- budget, y- or Lyon still have the second or third biggest budget yeah, yeah, with Monaco as well. Ex- exactly. I think there's no question that Marseille, Lyon and Monaco um, could and, and potentially should all be doing better, certainly in the case of Lyon, who will come to. But, you know, Marseille, second last season, um, could have been a bit closer to PSG in the final standings because they had some pretty poor results at home over the course of the season. Um, at the start of this season, they're obviously grinding out the wins. They're not necessarily winning league games by big margins, um, but they're getting the results and, and the atmosphere at the Velodrome is is sensational as always. Um, tough matches to come, of course. I mean, the PSG game in, in Paris in October, it'd be nice if uh, there's about three rounds of games before that. It'd be nice if, if if the clubs are still level on points come that one and, and, and it will give them uh, something to cling on to. I mean, I don't think anybody really expects they can last the pace of Paris Saint-Germain, but I mean, listen, Pablo Longoria, the president, has has made some very interesting signings in the market. The, the decision to get rid of Milik is a very curious one, but at the moment it seems to be working out. Alexis Sanchez has started well. Um, I, I think there's lots to be encouraged by from Marseille perspective. That for me, um, the, the, the game on Saturday was really notable by Igor Tudor's decision to, to take off Leonardo Balerdi before half an hour had been played, and Balerdi utterly humiliated. And then Tudor, after the game, talking to, to Canal Plus here in France, saying, "You know, he's a wonderful player. He's a great guy." Really talking him up. Um, but that was that was a, a big decision. He, he he said that he he was worried Balerdi was going to get sent off, and that's why he took him off so early in the game but you, you've got you've got a problem there in terms of squad management if you're going to do that so how 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 he he handles Balerdi is important and and this is a guy who you know has not been playing Dimitri Payet very much he said that Payet is going to start against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions League this midweek he's had a little calf problem and he's okay now so these issues of squad management are very important but you know Igor Tudor is is doing a good job and if they can keep winning the league games then they're going to be they're going to be looking very good indeed it's going to be a big battle this season for for top three places, but they're, they're starting strongly. He's a he's a player that knows a thing or two uh, about uncompromising defending, says Igor Tudor. But for himself, and perhaps he had a coach similar to that. Just five career red cards. I've just uh, quickly looked up because I was thinking maybe he has a sixth sense about and seeing that sort of thing coming. Moving along, elsewhere, Lens continued their unbeaten run, a one nil victory at home to Troyes. On Friday night, maintaining their place in the top three. They were provisionally top, of course, until Paris and then Marseille overtook them. It was new midfielder Kevin Danzo with the only goal of that one for Franck Ez's men. Strasbourg are still looking for their first win of the season. Now, Angus Tarod is back on the pod next week, and we should get him to lift the mocker off Strasbourg. He's tipped them at the start of the at the start of the season as outsiders for Champions League football and like some marabou or a little bit of black magic, this is starting to get very, very cruel. Julian Stefan was even watching from the stands after being sent off the previous week. They were held scoreless by Clermont. And uh, if you saw the highlights to that one or you saw the match, they hit the woodwork twice. Uh, Maury Dior was beaten, cleared off the line, ball bouncing. I think at one point a shot hit Maury Dior 
in the face and then bounced safely back into his hands. We actually had a question from a, a regular listener, Nofal, who asked about Mori Dior having watched this game. Who is he? Was the question. Who is Mori Dior? Well, uh, I'll go first before perhaps coming to you, Andy, for a, for a supplement of information. But it's a, and I'll give a, perhaps a, I'll give some quick stats and then a, a personal insight because I, I worked with him at PSG. From PSG, he was let go in rather controversial, not controversial, but uh, uh, colourful manner. He was, he was not re-signed by the club when he was out of contract. He went to Mafra after time out of the game. I think he was playing for Poissy in, uh, in the French 5th Division or CFA at the time. He moved finally to the Portuguese 2nd Division. In 2017, he was trialling with Leeds and almost, by all accounts, almost got a, got a gig. It fell through. He headed off to Bulgaria where he played with Lokomotiv Plovdiv before heading back uh, a little bit more towards the west with uh, FC Zurich, but that was semi-professional football before an injury opportunity came up at Lausanne Sport in the second division. He signed in the Swiss second division, and all of a sudden he was back uh, in the French top flight. And it's not easy at Clermont, Andy, but he's... he's uh, He's making a good fist of things. He's doing he's doing very well, yeah. And and actually we talked about President El Kimpembe before. I believe he was in the same in the same youth team at PSG as, as President El Kimpembe. So he's certainly got yep. the, the pedigree. Uh, and and a lot of the time with these footballers, you know, the, their careers can kind of go a little bit off track, but they've clearly got the the, the ability, the, the raw ability of the if they're playing at that level in the PSG youth team. Um Mori Dio, any Clermont goalkeeper is going to be a busy man, you're right, but it's been an impressive start from him, and um, and and as a general rule, it's been a pretty impressive start for Clermont because I think when on on the opening weekend when they got hammered by Paris Saint Germain, we were all saying that it was going to be really hard for them to stay up this season. But um, they've put themselves in a position to, to 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 stay up with the the points they've got on the board early, and um, they've got themselves a point from what is always a difficult game away to Strasbourg. So that that's that's a good result for them and. Um, staying out of the bottom four is is the only thing that matters for Clermont this season. But it looks like they might they might do it. The early signs are promising. I'll, I'll fill in a bit more background on on uh, young Mori Dior. When he was at PSG, when I was working there, he was behind Salvatore Sirigu and Nicola Duches were the were the two first team goalkeepers. There was a third keeper there by the name of Mike Mignon as well, who was a, a young keeper coming through the ranks. Who famously Laurent Blanc, despite both goalkeepers saying. Let him play, let him play the last game of the season in 2015. Laurent Blanc didn't uh, give Mike Mignon a run. So Mike Mignon never played an official match for the Paris Saint-Germain first team, was never crowned uh, French champion. Maury Dior was in, the, was in the same situation. And, and in the end, unfortunately for Maury Dior, um, he was a, a little bit young. He was from a, a tough suburb of Paris and he got done for some, for some uh, fairly controversial uh, tweets and vulgar jokes and and uh, couldn't often control himself on social media. Paris Saint-Germain have a little history of that as well with Serge Aurier a, a couple of years later. But that was, that was for a long time Maury Dior's undoing. It was very hard for him to find another job in, uh, in France. At one point, he even tweeted Zlatan Ibrahimovic's personal phone number out on Twitter <laughs> to the world uh, before it was quickly deleted. And uh, and the club said his his thing had been hacked. It wasn't the real phone number, et cetera, et cetera. And probably wasn't Zlatan's phone number for very long once it got out either, to be fair. Elsewhere, Angers 
Oh, no, yep, I, was, I was just going to say, actually, if, 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 I think I saw at the beginning of the season that Maury Dew, he, 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 he could have been playing in the League of Ireland. He turned down a move to Waterford in the League of Ireland. Yeah, so, yes. so, so he could have been playing there. I think that was at the same time he was tri- trialling with Leeds. Well, there you go. I think you're yes, right. He was, he, was, yeah. he was fishing around for, for opportunities. So he could have, could have ended up, um, you know, as you say, in England, could have played in Ireland. But in in the end, he ended up in the Swiss league, and and now he's now he's come back to France. And it, it, it is it is a, a remarkable story for a guy who, as you say, all these uh, mistakes he made as a young man, he could have completely disappeared off the face of the earth. So to have him back in Ligue 1 is 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 quite remarkable. Yes, it's a fantastic story. Talking of uh, incredible surprises, Angers they caused an upset, but. I wonder if you can really ever call a result against Montpellier an upset, a side capable of beating Brest 7-0 and then just coming completely undone. Angers getting up 2-1 over then. A first three points of the season for Angers. Time for our Deja Vu, our weekly competition. We had our first instalment of the September Deja Vu. It was another tough one last week and uh, a lot of people got it right but a few people saying look they're getting very very tough the questions so I've taken the foot off a little bit here or what I think is taking the foot off a little bit here so here's the deja vu it's the second of three in the month of September to win the September Ligue 1 jersey we'll uh, reveal the jersey next week but to go into the hunt you need to get this right deja vu who am I Born in the suburbs of Paris, I'm a product of the famed National Academy at Clairefontaine, and I made my professional debut at just 16 years of age. Lightning quick on the pitch, my career went every bit as fast, and at just 21, I'd already won a League and Cup double, I'd won the Champions League and the Euros. While my long and successful career probably never rescaled those dizzy heights, I did secure another three National League titles in three different countries, as well as two more cups. But in my homeland, I remain best known for one of the darkest hours in national team history. Who am I and what ended my international career in bleu? There we go. So uh, I don't think that, well, I think, Few people will have a. I've got another little clue up my up my sleeve, which is an interesting one. But I think it will just give it away, especially with with internet. Luke, are you? Do you I have, have inklings? inklings? The day that I do actually get one, though, that'll be a very very happy day. <laughs> well, if you get one, Luke, and if you get this one, write in League One <laughs> Podcast at Gmail dot com, and you could. Uh, I see that you're a, a a classic shirt aficionado. So uh, we might uh, see if we can't get you a, a league on shirt to go to go with your uh, collection. Andy, what about you? I mean, these 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 clues are difficult these days. But <laughs> I, I think when you mention the darkest um, the darkest episode in in history of of the French team, then then it, it can probably only be one thing. So that would narrow it down somewhat. But I won't say any more than that. Narrows it down to twenty three players, doesn't it? Yeah, perhaps we'll see. <laughs> All right, moving on. I mentioned Strasbourg are without a win. They're not the only side. Promoted Ajaxio are still winless after seven. And just like Racing, Ajaxio may feel like the world is against them. Even their old fan favorite, Andy Delore, scored an absolute worldie to secure Nice's second win of the campaign. Now, from one Andy to another, 
Andy Scott, if you were a professional footballer, let's say playing in Scotland with a struggling outfit and you travelled to Dundee United and you took down a ball on the chest and then threw yourself into a, a bicycle kick and put the ball into the opposite top hand, top corner, would you then just stand there and apologise to the Dundee United fans or would you let a little bit of emotion out and celebrate? Because, I mean, it's exactly what happened. Andy just stood there after this yeah. wonderful goal. And I know that's a lot of ifs for, for you to do your play <laughs> role here. <laughs> but, but what did you make of it? An incredible goal, an absolutely incredible goal. Um, Andy Delors' history with the Jaxio is obviously, you know, goes back a long way, and and um, he he is very attached to to a Jaxio. You know, he was he was part of um, part of a decent Jaxio side at the beginning of his career. So I, I can understand the sentiment. It's not like a guy who's gone on loan um, to to a club and played a few games and and then said a mark of respect. I'm not going to celebrate the goal. There's, there's, there's clearly some deeper meaning there. Um, but the, the 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 flip side is that it was a brilliant goal and it was a very important win for Nice, who really needed that result. There's there's a good picture um, going around on social media, which I saw this morning, of Andy Delors uh, drinking a pint after the game with some fans outside the stadium in the Jacks, who obviously waiting for the for the rest of the Nice team to to get back on the bus and and head to the airport. But brilliant to see. I mean, that's that's Andy Delors for you. He's he's a genuine guy. He's he's you know he's. He's a bit old school, I think, in his approach sometimes. Um, I like him. I think he's a real character. And uh, that was that was a wonderful goal. I mean, it was certainly, um, you know, we were discussing last night the, the, the goal of the weekend in Ligue 1 for, the, for the, the, the weekly highlight show. And it was naturally Andy Delors' goal. Brilliant strike, sensational hit, and, um, and, and, a, and a big win for Nice because they have been dire in, in, in recent games. So, um, you know, huge all round. And yeah, it would have been nice to see him celebrate, but, but hey. He's got a bit of respect for these Ajaxil fans. He he does, but Luke, I, and it's good to hear Andy that the that the crew at uh, Ligue 1 International did give it goal of the round. But honestly, when you see a goal like that with no celebration, it is a monumental wet blanket. <laughs> like it could cost you a nomination for goal of the season. I think honestly, when you see that, Luke, you've been keeping a close eye on Nice. They have struggled um, under Lucien Favre since he's been back. What are the positives? Are there positives to take, obviously, from, from a narrow victory away to Ajaxio, but Ajaxio are rock bottom. They've got one point so far from seven matches. It's a, it was almost three points they had to, had to take. Uh, yeah, 100%. In the league, they've looked really quite shambolic. I, I think there are a few positives, to be fair. Um, Sofian Diop has come in. He looks a little bit lost at Monaco in the final six months. He looks really reinvigorated. He's very direct. He's very... He's a very difficult player to track, really, with his runs. He's very mazy. Um, so that's a big positive. The Andy Delors-Gayton-Laborde link-up is obviously one that is, is age-old, but it looks like it's still there. And Laborde, in particular, no surprise, uh, looks like he could be an absolutely brilliant signing. I think clearly there's still things tactically that Favre is trying to implement. I don't even think he's necessarily 100% sure of what his best formation is, never mind his best eleven. Uh, so I think there's still definitely uh, places to go there. But if whilst he's discovering all this, whilst he's finding all of this out, if he can at the same time get the results, uh, you know, if they're a bit scrappy, you just have to take that on the chin and, and just accept it. But if they just get the results, little one nils, two ones here and there, uh, whilst he figures everything out, I think that'll be positive. Um, 
yeah, a few positives in there, but certainly very far from the finished article, but a very good set of players. Um, it's just about making the pieces fit. Now, we did receive a very important email, uh, a message from one of our regular listeners, Matthew, last week um, about a very serious issue. And while we're happy to discuss the big issues on this podcast, this did happen in a UEFA Conference League match and involved uh, fans from an opposition club, from a, from a German club, um, and, if you believe the rumours, some French clubs and other German clubs as well. But there were violent scenes inside Allianz Riviera, crowd trouble. Um, we don't really want to go back over all the details of, of who did what and who caused what, but our, our listener, Matthew, wrote in to, to express basically his his utter disbelief and 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 at moments heart heartfelt angst about what he has witnessed as a Nice fan even over the last couple of seasons, but particularly uh, last Thursday night because he's an Englishman who lives in the south of France, travels around watching Nice. But before that, he's he's from London. He grew up traveling to 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 football matches in London in the nineteen eighties. He's seen all this sort of thing before. He's seen the trouble it can cause. And, uh, and he sent out a heartfelt plea uh, to, to whoever will listen to say, look, something has to be addressed here. Um, I don't think it's a, a uniquely French problem. We know that in the last few seasons in Europe and, and in France, there have been a number of disturbances inside stadiums. Um, it is very dangerous. But I think above all, and, and looking at the problem in France, it's a problem that has to be acknowledged. First of all, it has to be understood as well, and then it has to be addressed because it has to stop. We've seen we've seen matches stopped. We've seen matches abandoned last season. Um, points deductions for clubs is the 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 lightest of penalties, considering some of 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 the trouble that could have caused and and some of the the ramifications of what could have happened. So, look, this is a, a an issue that has to be addressed across European football and in France, and, and we're aware of that, and, and hopefully the authorities will, will take this latest warning sign from what happened between Cologne and Nice on, on Thursday night at Alliance Riviera and, and start trying to find a solution to this problem. I don't know, gentlemen, if you have anything more to add. I think there's nothing better than, than going to watch football in France. I think there are fantastic matches. It's entertaining. Um, there are rarely any problems inside the stadium, but we have had four or five. We've even had several European matches where it's been a problem, not to mention the Champions League final where there were, where there were issues there as well. Um, I don't think it's a uniquely French problem, but there is something that has to be done here. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right to say that you know, fan trouble is not a uniquely French problem. It definitely isn't. Um, unique to France, but what is unique to France is I think the way in which it's dealt with and it's the way in which they try and, and deal with mass events. I mean, you can go back to the Stade de France earlier in the summer and once there is no way of preventing away fans in big events to make to make in those journeys, there seems to not really be a, any kind of alternative plan of action. And I think that's the issue. I mean, we've just talked about the Nice match again and the Nice fans were once again prevented from going to the Ajaccio match you would have thought that that would be quite a low-risk uh, déplacement. But once again, uh, that was prevented by the French authorities. So I, I think a change attack is is very much necessary to actually try and deal with the problem rather than just kicking the can down the road and, and hoping that everything will be all right. Because when those big European nights come, 
and you can't use that same tactic, you're in trouble. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, listen, this is something. I mean, we talked about it, you know, on occasions last season. I think back to the the Nice Marseille game at the beginning of last season. We had big discussions about it then, and 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 you know, several other occasions last season, right back to the 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 relegation playoff between Saint Etienne and Auxerre on the final night of last season. You know, French football has been scarred by this issue on a number of occasions. I, I think it's maybe a bit unfair to always compare it to the English game, for example, because. Um, the way in which English football rooted out um, violent supporters that goes way back to the, the the start of the Premier League year and before that, and you know the the late eighties and and all the problems they had then. So it's it's, it's a very different um, situation in France, and there are lots of things that come together. Um, and really, it's something that we we could dedicate not just one episode but a whole series of podcasts to. And I think it's it's a separate thing. I mean, I mean. The clubs themselves obviously have to take some responsibility, but at the same time, it goes way beyond that to policing and and in the case of Nice, to one thing that has been mentioned in 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 the in the aftermath of the the, the problems against Cologne that they don't own the stadium, um, they they are aware of of issues in terms of policing the stadium. This issue of uh, the stadium being like one big ring where people can walk around a little bit too freely within the stadium when you've got about eight thousand travelling supporters then maybe that can create problems. But of course, it comes down to the management by the police of the crowds. And um, that is something which at the Stade de France at the end of last season was seen to be an Achilles heel for the police here in France. And it's not something that is only restricted to to policing football matches. It's something that happens in wider society in France. It creates lots of problems with authority here. And it's it's unfortunately because football attracts big crowds, it's something that is bound to, to be a flashpoint. But... Um, you know, I think football has a lot of responsibility when it comes to crowd trouble and um, supporter violence, but this is way beyond just being a, a footballing issue in France. And, and then, of course, as you say, very important to point out that this was a match against um, against you know Cologne and 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 the problems are happening in amongst the the where the German fans were. So, listen, I mean, it's as you say, it's not just a, a French problem, but but it is a problem in France. It would be ridiculous to 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 bury our heads in the sand and say this is you know this is not something for Ligue 1 to be concerned about. It really, really is. And I fully agree with with um, with Luke's point. And I've said this many times on the podcast that simply banning fans from travelling to away games is not the solution. And um, and something really needs to be done about it in terms of um, in terms of how supporters are treated, and um, just in terms of the, the 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 wider you know reputation of French football beyond these borders, because it doesn't look good. On a decidedly happier note, how about those Merlu? Now it's been a couple of years uh, that Hakes. I tipped Terra Moffi <laughs> and Ellie the Hakes, the Hakes, um, Terra Moffi and. And another a Montpellier player, Ilo Wai, to be two of the stars of the competition. I think it was two and a half seasons ago now that I that I suggested. They look, with time, like they might be getting there. Um, listen carefully. I'm only going to say it once. Lorient are fourth in Ligue 1 after seven matches. They beat Lyon in midweek, and then they accounted for Nantes 3-2. And a uh, quick question for uh, both of you. We'll go Andy first, perhaps. How much time do they spend on free kick training out there in, in the west of France? Because we know what Loriente can can do. He scored a wonderful free kick earlier this year to go with his incredible free kick last season. Enzo Lefay, 
curled home the opener against Leon, and now Dango Watara is getting in on the act. That's three direct free kicks this season. I mean, that is something special. Kathleen, uh, a youngster, got his first ever league and goal, which was another cracker. And then Ibrahim Akone came off the bench uh, and scored. Nantes almost got something out of this one right at the end because, of course, they still have Ludovic Blas. And, and when you have a side with Ludovic Blas and, and a solid defence, you're never out of the contest. But Andy, Regis Lebris is doing a, an incredible job. Yes, he really is. I mean, <clears throat> of all the of all the clubs who, who brought in new coaches ahead of this season, some quite big names, obviously, Galtier to Paris, uh, Tudor to Marseille, Lucien Favre, uh, Paulo Fonseca, and then you had Regis Lebris at Lorient. Now, um, probably not even a household name in Lorient, Regis Lebris. Um, and, you know, I think some eyebrows raised when they appointed him in the summer. I mean, in terms of continuity, I suppose Lorient were looking for that and, and, and he gives them that because he was already involved at the club down the years working with the youth academy and then as the coach of the reserves. But a curious, you know, a, a, a curious decision to give him the job because it's, it's a big task to keep, um, to keep a club like Lorient afloat in Ligue 1. It's been a stunning start um, and, and a great result again on Sunday against Nantes, so they're, they're racking up the victories and they've got some very exciting young players. I mean, Armand Lorienté, you know, you talked about, obviously, Sassuolo in Serie A came in for him <clears throat> and, um, you know, you look at the others that they've left, that have been left behind, well, Dongo Watara is, is the really exciting one. He's been scoring and making goals for fun at the beginning of this season, possibly one of the, the next really big stars to come out of, of West Africa and, and make his way to Europe and, and I suspect that um, this time next year, he might not be a Lorient player anymore because I think bigger clubs in in France and possibly in 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 England will be watching him very closely. He 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 made a big impact to the Africa Cup of Nations at the beginning of this year in in Cameroon and part of a Burkina Faso team who made it all the way to the semi-finals. It was a really rousing story because th that that run was happening for them to the backdrop of a of a military um, coup in in Burkina Faso. He scored the winning goal against Tunisia in the quarter finally. He was sent off in that game as well um, and, and therefore missed the semi as a result. But, you know, uh, a live attacking player, long legs, um, looks like a really exciting one to, to, to watch in the years to come. And, and, and Regis Labrice has got him and Terry Moffi and the others in that Lorient side playing really well together. And, and you know, if, if teams like Lyon keep on dropping points, especially when they go to places like Lorient, then it's, it's a chance for Lorient to have their best season since the um, since the Christian Gourcuff era, going back more than a decade, when they had the likes of Kevin Gamero and and um, Morgan Amalfitano and and guys like that, when they really were a, a fun team to watch, it's, it's been a great start. Jeremy Aliadier. Jeremy Aliadier, yes. Yeah. So so you know, uh, <laughs> listen, it's 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 great, it's great to see them doing well again, and and let's see if they can keep it up. Ren put five past Osser. That's three without loss now for for Pep Genesio's men and three defeats on the bounce for promoted Auxerre. There were some great goals there and Toulouse also got back to winning ways courtesy of a lone strike by Zakaria Abouklal, 1-0 over Reims. Finally today, Andy, you were calling the action from the Stade Louis II last night. Here's what happened. Monaco now have a corner of their own. In swinging, delivering the header into the net from Benoit Badiashil. A fantastic headed goal. Attacked that ball superbly. And Thiago Mendes is the defender who just uh, couldn't compete with Badiashil. 
Rodrigo flights the free kick in, and Maripan's header to make it 2 0. There is daylight between the teams now. Another headed goal from one of their centre backs, Caio Henrique's delivery, Guillermo Maripan running from deep. And this time it was Castillo Luqueba who couldn't stop the goal. Here come Leon now with Ryan Sherki, Tete. Renadilaid arriving in the penalty box. Tokoe Kampi, Lacazette, and Dembele all there as well. Might just come for Tokoe Kampi here. It's an excellent strike, and Nurbel got a hand to it, but he couldn't keep it out. Leon get one back. There is still hope for the away team. The Leon supporters who made the trip down here to the Principality have something to celebrate tonight at last. Third in Ligue 1 last season against the team who finished in eighth place. Heading for a big three points in uh, the early fight for position at the top of uh, this season's table. That has got away from Carl Tokoe Kampi and there is the final whistle. Monaco have done it. Luke, I'm going to go to you first, our man down in the Principality. Reports of Monaco's demise vastly exaggerated by all accounts, including right here on this very podcast. They're back. It was a solid performance, and uh, they look finally as though they're over the mental disappointment of missing out once again on Champions League football, and the physical work that they did at the early parts of the season is now paying dividends. Yeah, I mean, maybe conclusions about the demise were maybe a little bit early. I mean, Philippe Clermont is still not good over those refereeing decisions. When I asked him last night about uh, oh, it's at the fifth attempt. This is your first time victory. Is that a relief? He said, "Well, it's the first time that we've had ten men on the pitch in the league. Um, uh, Eleven men, sorry, because there's been a, a red card in, in every other home match for, for Monaco so far. So, I think that's quite important mentally to get that first win out of the way. And suddenly, you get a win against Nice away. You get a win in midweek in the Europa uh, in the Europa League under your belt, and then you come and you beat Lyon. Suddenly, things look a lot brighter. And it must be said, I mean. Monaco's schedule at the start of the season was by far the most difficult of any league and club uh, in the first eight games. I think it was six of the top seven from last season. So that is not an easy run. Um, but things seem to be clicking. And once again, clicking for Caio Enrique, who at the start of last season was, was Monaco's massive um, kind of source of attacking threat, despite being a left back. He's very much a wing back nowadays rather than a left back with that back three rather than the back four. And he's now the main man on the set pieces, and he's up brilliant. I mean, two two deliveries for two of the defenders to score, and yeah, things are looking a lot lot brighter for Monaco. Um, still, a few difficult games. They've got Ferenc Varos in, in Europa League on Thursday, but the schedule for them is getting a little bit easier. So now it's time to kind of make hay for them, get the points on the board against the uh, on paper inferior sides, and. Um, I still expect them to be very much in the fight for the top three, despite obviously only a couple of weeks ago being very much down towards that bottom end of the table. As it came to that game against Nice, I think both of those sides were 15th and 16th. But really, at this point of the season, you can really go shooting at the table very, very quickly with just a couple of good results. Andy, uh, Olympic Lyonnais, a bit like 90 years of, of French football, plus ça change. C'est la même chose, mm -hmm. can we say? Yeah. Uh, it all changes, but nothing changes. Uh, 
It, it looks like Lyon still look edgy, and there is real pressure now on the former Toulon SC midfielder, <laughs> Peter Bosch. Peter Bosch, yeah. I, I, I think it's it's impossible to escape the um, the feeling, at least, that another coach might get a different tune out of this team, uh, this set of players at Lyon. I'm not saying that Peter Bosch is a bad coach, but it's not really worked. Um, it's not really worked for him. I mean, eighth place last season, it was remarkable at a club of Lyon standing that they didn't sack the manager in the summer. They've kept faith in him and, and they had to look at the fixtures they had in the opening weeks of the season and say, with the players we have, we need to be having maximum points on the board before going to Monaco uh, in early September. Now, they did have a good start in terms of results, but they, they needed a late goal to get a draw in Reims. They were beaten in Lorient in midweek and some of the other wins they've had have not been all that convincing, some of them. Um, had they won last night in Monaco, I think the outlook would have been different. But now we're looking at the table, six points between them and the leaders. They play Paris Saint-Germain at home this coming mid, uh, weekend. Now, Jean-Michel Olas, who sometimes is quite active on social media, has been making the point this morning and last night that, you know, look at all the statistics from the game. Um, the team is going the right direction. And there could be a nice surprise against PSG this weekend. Now, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it would be to say that if they lose against PSG, there'll be nine points behind PSG in the table going into the September international break, which is not good. And even if we say that Lyon won't necessarily be winning the title, he should certainly be keeping pace of PSG a bit longer than the middle to the end of September, and they should certainly be competing for a Champions League place. It's not going too well. Um, and I think that, the, well... You know, this is hardly cutting-edge analysis, but the, the defence is a problem. I mean, the defence is, is a major problem for that team. I mean, Thiago Mendes was badly at fault in midweek for the, the, the very important second goal that Lorient scored in that game um, because he, Peter Bosch said it himself, he had this, essentially the instinct of a midfielder um, trying to bring the ball down on the edge of his own penalty box and, and, and being caught out, and that did for his team. Last night, he wasn't big enough at a set piece. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying it's entirely his fault, but he wasn't big enough marking Benoit Badiashil at a set piece and Badiashil got the goal. Um, Castello Luqueba was then, was then caught out set piece just afterwards. So the defence is a problem for Lyon. And I think it's something they need to sort out. There's been a lot of suggestions in recent days that they should maybe look to change to a back three, get Jerome Boateng into that team. Uh, use his experience defensively. They've got other defenders who could play too, Diomonde or Da Silva, but they're persisting with Thiago Mendes. And, um, you know, at the moment, it, it it doesn't look like this team is is going to last the pace at the top of the table. But, you know, I know it's early days, but I I think that they, they, they have big problems to sort out still. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Aulas is resorting to screenshots of WhatsApp conversations, I think is... It's kind of a, a bit of a poet with poets, with poets, with poets. Luke. screenshots <laughs> of conversations with of poets from the Leon, a Leon poet by all so, accounts. A very odd turn of events, but yeah, I think he's he's really trying to justify uh, keeping his man in his is in in that manager role at the minute. I do think that things could quickly turn for Boz. I think that, as Andy said, I think he's very lucky to survive the season. Um, I definitely didn't expect to see him on the touchline at the start of the season. And, Results kind of were ticking at the start and now they've stopped ticking and you think maybe time is ticking on his reign there a little bit. And I think that the context around that result actually makes for even worse reading than just the scoreline um, because Monaco had no time to prepare for this game. They only got back from Belgrade, which was 
a difficult match. They only got back from Belgrade on Friday night. They only had Saturday to prepare for this game, which also included all of their media duties. So that's obviously a slightly disruptive day as well. And then you go into Sunday off very, very limited preparation and still beat Lyon. I think that's uh, the context around it. I think reflects well on Monaco, but more than anything reflects really quite badly on Lyon. Uh, not that we have anything against poets either. You're listening to Luke Entwistle, Andy Scott, and myself, Robbie Thompson. You could call us three three poets, three bards of, of French football, I guess, in, in some respects. Let's have a quick look at the league table then. Paris Saint-Germain and Olympique de Marseille leading the way. They've dropped just two points so far this season, the pair of them on 19 points. Two points behind them. Lens then come the pre-season or the early season surprise packet. We were wondering who it was. I had my money on Montpellier. It's FC Lorient there in fourth. Lyon and Rennes then bring up the lead, but Rennes already eight points behind PSG and Marseille. Then come Monaco, who are slowly clawing their way back up. Lille are there as well on 10 points alongside Clermont Foot, another surprise in installation in the top half of the table. Montpellier, Toulouse, after that crucial second win of the season, climb up to 11th. Nice are pulling themselves away from the relegation zone. It's still early days, of course. Trois, Auxerre, Nantes are slipping back towards the wrong end of the table after all the good things we've been saying about them recently as well. Then come Reims and then the bottom four, and let's not forget four sides relegated at the end of this season. The bottom four have two wins between them, Brest and Angers with one win apiece, but it's Strasbourg in 17th with five draws to go with their two defeats. Brest, Angers and Ajaxio with just one point bringing up the rear. Ajaxio, after 21 possible points, already find themselves 18 points behind Paris Saint-Germain and Olympique de Marseille at the other end of the table. Gentlemen, before we go, it's time for the Bon Voyage. As Andy mentioned, we have a very big match on Sunday night, Olympique Lyonnais entertaining Paris Saint-Germain. Before that, another full round of European action involving the French clubs that blew the flag with such honour last week. The Liga action kicks off on Friday night. Auxerre versus Lorient. Auxerre, if you prefer. Montpellier, Strasbourg, and then Lille against promoted Toulouse. Monaco are away to Reims. Brest taking on Ajaccio. Clermont against Troyes. A very entertaining match on Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Kickoff there. Olympique de Marseille versus Stade René. Nice are also taking on Angers. And then later on Sunday afternoon, Nantes versus Lens before Olympic Lyonnais take on Paris Saint-Germain at 8.45 on Sunday night. It's the final round of matches before the international break, of course. There's a, a weekend off of French football before a huge October. I was just looking through the fixtures. Eight matches in October for Paris Saint-Germain alone with their European football. But Luke... You get the honours. Where would you like to go this weekend to see what and why? A little bit of a maybe boring shout, a bit of an obvious shout, but Marseille-Rennes. Um, interesting to see how long Igor Tudor's side can 
keep up with PSG because I'm hoping that it's as long as possible uh, for the sake of entertainment and interest. So I'm hoping that they can keep up with PSG, but then Ren are also, after a really difficult start, coming back into a little bit of form. So it'll be interesting to see if that's, there's a continuation of that. I think the other interesting one is actually Brest-Ajaccio. Even at this very, very early point of the season, you can see that that's going to be a massive, massive game for both sides. I think that Brest have the better chance of staying up than Ajaccio, but uh, a win for Ajaccio could very much change my mind in that regard. The Stade Francis Leblay is a great old stadium as well. I don't know if either of you have been there for over the years for cup action, but it's 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 an old stadium, very close to the ground. They've got a great sort of top end or den shed away to the left, which is always packed and makes a whole lot of noise. And all the fittings, and this is a curious point, when I was there a few years ago, all the fittings were still there from the 1970s. So the 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 signs for the toilets were like a, a engraved in metal, a guy with flares and a girl was wearing boots and a mini skirt. And it's got all these little touches of, it's like a traveling back in time, literally to the 1970s when you go to the the Stade Francis Le Bay. Fantastic ground. Love it. Andy, where are you off to? And what what little things have you noticed of the stadium you're going to tell us about? Well, I mean, I, th- I think <laughs> the, the the big game of the weekend is obviously Leon PSG and the, the Group Armour Stadium. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you an anecdote about the Group Armour Stadium because it's, it's, um, it is a wonderful stadium. I, I went there once um, five years ago for the, the Leon Ajax Europa League semi-final um with uh, with the late great dave cross and we were we were there together and I, and I was actually given my accreditation um which obviously had my name on it but it had the picture of somebody else uh, and i thought well this is a bit strange and and i was walking around inside the you know inside the sort of media section going to the kind of media restaurant and people were looking at my badge and 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 saying why have you taken the accreditation of our colleague and it turned out that there was a, a a chap who worked, and I don't know if he still does, worked at Lyon, who had the same name as me, uh, and they, you know, they'd mixed up our accreditations and given me his badge. And people people started saying, "What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here," and all the rest of it. Uh, obviously, I was, I, I, you know, I was allowed to be there, and I don't know what I never met this guy, but he clearly worked for Lyon. So I don't know if he's still working there, but it'd be nice to see him if I go on Sunday. That's obviously the big game. Um, I think that that not against Lens would be a good one, though. I think that's going to be a really fun match at the Stade de la Bourgeoisie. Two great clubs, two um, you know legendary shirts: the 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 yellow and green of Nantes and the blood and gold of Lens. The Antoine Cumboire derby. Lens team have had a great start to the season, um, so that that should be a fun one. And and you know I think Nantes a very vibrant city too. I think if you can make it at this this late stage, if you're looking for somewhere to go for a, a long weekend, then head to Nantes and stick around for the game on Sunday afternoon. That would be a fun one. And a quick shout for Brest Jackson because that has to be the longest um, journey of pretty much any any two teams in, in, in one of the big European leagues, surely from, from all the way down in Corsica, all the way up to, to the, the western tip of France to play in, in windswept Brest. So that's going to be a fun one as well. So it's a great weekend of games. Big, big weekend before the international break. I'm looking forward to it. Jaxio travelling by boat and then train, perhaps up to up to Brest, there's been a lot of talk about transport between uh, league and fixtures. That one is is they a long could, one. They could, Let's they, hope that yeah, both Andy they could take the sailing boat, couldn't they? It might take them. They could do it. They could do it through the Straits they'd of Gibraltar. Ha- they'd have to around. head all the way out, <laughs> exactly back around Spain, Portugal, Spain, and up the Atlantic coast. Could be. 
well, it would take a few days. But uh, let's hope both Andrew Scotts enjoy their uh, French football this weekend. I'm amazed to hear that there's another Andrew I, Scott, I, particularly working at Olympic Lyon. That's brilliant. It's, it's astonishing, isn't it? There can't be many people with my name knocking about France, but but clearly there is at least one other. But there's a there's a Robbie Thompson who plays in goal in Scotland. I don't know if he still plays in uh, in Scotland, Andy. There was a Robbie Thompson uh, goalkeeper for. Well, it'd be the- for a while, I used to get the odd message. There'll be a few Robbie Thompsons knocking around in Scotland. I'm, I'm sure of that. <laughs> and what about the Luke Entwistles? Have you ever come across a, I, a Luke Entwistle? I've Entwistle? never come across in professional football another Entwistle, so I think I, um, I'm waiting for the day, but I'm, I'm not holding my <laughs> breath on that one. <laughs> Fantastic, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a, a good, interesting chat. Don't forget, if you're listening, follow us, subscribe, rate us, leave us five stars. Put a little comment in there. Email us if you want us to talk about anything in particular or you're curious about uh, a player who's just emerged on the scene. We'll be more than happy to fill you in when we look back at all the Week 8 action next Monday. And then we'll take a well-earned break over the international break. Andy Scott, Luke Entwistle, from me, Robbie Thompson. Thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. Very much. Cheers. And we will see you again next week. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done.